0: The Imposter Club is produced by talented people, staffing and headhunting company in TV production, with a mission to make the industry a happier, more creatively diverse place. Coming up. I'd gone into the edit, I was just putting
1: in my settings and the director just burst into the room and he went, do not touch anything. You are obviously inexperienced, don't touch anything. And I was like shaking, I was so furious. This
0: is The Imposter Club. The podcast uniting all us TV, film and content folk, secretly stressing that everyone else has it sorted except us. I'm Kimberly Godbolt, TV director turned staff and company founder. And each episode, I want you to hear the real story of a successful industry figure. Not the glossy announcements we usually see, but the truth of their career journey, including the bumpy bits, to help you make sense of your own. Health warning. This podcast may incur whiplash from violent nodding, plus an unfamiliar but hopefully welcome feeling of belonging. Yasmin Amosawi is an Emmy Award winning offline editor. She grew up in a big family in a small London council flat with Middle Eastern and North African heritage. Setting her mind on a career in TV from a young age, she paid her way through university in Portsmouth With no industry contacts, Yaz hustled her way in and worked her socks off before getting representation and going on to edit premium content from Netflix doc series like Tour de France Unchained to BBC Three's The Rap Game, talent-led single films like Danny Dyer on Anxiety for E4 to Planet Sex with Cara Delevingne for Hulu, as well as countless fast turnaround panoramas and horizons. Her documentary for a and The Day I Picked My Parents, won the team an Emmy in 2020. Yaz is an integral part of a supportive WhatsApp group for editors and edit assistants and loves to give back, saying, and I quote an online article, As an editor, I had to face experiences early on that knocked my confidence and made me question whether I should even be doing this job or if this industry had space for someone like me which I'm absolutely going to be delving into in a minute. So, as one of the few female editors in the industry, a role which, by the way, I think often goes hugely unsung, Yasmin Amasawi, welcome to The Imposter Club. Hello. Hi. Hello. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Hi. How are you feeling? Well, nervous. (laughs) Super
0: duper nervous, but it's fine. So, Yaz, how would you describe your... Relationship with imposter syndrome. Um, it's an
1: unwanted roommate. (laughs) It's just always there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was there today (laughs) before coming on, uh, my last job. It was, it's always, it's there in almost every single job I take in this industry. And have you found it's changed over the years? Do you know what? It got worse over the years because when you, when I first came into this industry, I was like full of like confidence and I knew I could edit. Like I always knew I could edit and that was it. Um, But it was, I think I let other people affect me in a way that over the years it's kind of seeped in. Um, I, I didn't have it nearly as much at first. I mean, I feel like more, it's more like a, rugs then uh, and uh, like the imposter syndrome that like one day someone's gonna be like you don't belong here and they're just gonna pull the rug from underneath me and I mean I say I feel it all the time it's it's almost like a like a slight hum
0: in the back of my head but I do actually love this job (laughs) so let's take it back then to um Your desire to get into TV because as I understand it you've always known you wanted to work in TV yet the family you grew up in don't have any contacts um there was nobody you know telling you to to go that way or even influencing you so how did you come to that decision and what did you do about it
1: I think it goes it's almost like two ways because like no one was in that industry It wasn't that, like, they probably, my parents wanted me to do something totally different. My mum wanted me to be an interpreter. My dad wanted me to be a dentist. Um, Both things that I think I would have fucking hated. So I was just kind of, like, going in almost with, like, childhood naivety or young naivety. Just going in, going,
0: whatever, I'm just going to fucking do it. And let's see what happens. (laughs) Tell me about TV then. What were the TV influences in your house that might have made you think, I want to do that? It's gonna be, sound mad, but like the news. <laughs> so a bit of context
1: around this. So my uh, dad, um, my dad's Iraqi, um, and I grew up within the Iraqi Communist Party. <laughs> so so like we grew up with politics. All I grew up with like politics seeped into my very soul, and I remember thinking like the absolute dream would be to do a panorama. Um, or to be working on panorama—that was like my dream to be working on panoramas. And obviously, there were like film influences as well. I remember the first time I watched—it's totally not television—but first time I watched *Train Spotting*, and I was just like, "Oh, that's fucking! This is that's fucking amazing! I think it's so—it was just so well put together. I was like, I, I just there's nothing else that I want to do than this. Um, so I pretty much at first taught myself how to use Adobe Premiere. Because that was the only thing I had access to. Uh, that was like from like I don't know, fourteen to eighteen, and then when I went to university, I learned how to use Avid, and then just hustled, hustled, hustled.
0: <laughs> Let's talk specifically about um, how you got experience editing. Then because like we, we've we've your background is no contacts, <laughs> side jobs to both pay for uni and get experience. Yeah. So you've got your first job in post. How do you go from there to getting representation by indie post?
1: So while I was at Objective, I kind of just hustled my way into uh the tech room. But there will be things like, Do you know how to group? Yeah, I know how to group. Doing grouping, syncing. And then I kind of was like, Can you do an online fix? Yes, I can do an online fix. So I'd jump on and do online fixes for things like it would save. I guess it would save the production company having to bring in an online editor for a couple of hours just to have an assistant who could do online fixes for something like the cube or for peep show toast of london things like that um and then sometimes there was in-house things that maybe they couldn't get the editor or maybe they couldn't um maybe they wanted to cut a taster or a teaser or a promo for something um or like yeah an editor for a broadcast uh broadcast show and they just couldn't find it and lo and behold i mean objective post was very good for that um they would get us people in tech to do those creative jobs um probably to save money but <laughs> also it gave us the experience that i just don't think you would have had if you were working in the bigger you know those bigger facilities but yeah and then i i was it kept going kept going and one day there was kind of like this careers meeting and the woman was like, she's she, she a couple of us in the room. Um, and then she asked me what I want to do. And I was like, I want to become an editor. There's a lot of edits that I do here, but I don't see how I can progress. I'd love to, I don't know, somewhere in the back of my head, I always thought that objective would open up and have like an in-house editor and I could fill that role. And it was the late Anthony Owen, who was in the room with us and he was just, he just told me straight. And I really, I respect it when people are just straight and frank with you. And he said, if you want to become an editor, you can't do it here and you need to go and you need to find uh, someone or some some place that you can do that. But this is not the place where you it's going to happen, um, which he was right, because a couple of years later, uh, Objective Post closed down. But-, but how did you feel hearing that at the time? That's quite brutal. It is brutal, but I kind of prefer it when people tell you things frankly, rather than beat around the bush and go, oh, maybe, or... Potentially, potentially that could be your future.
0: Yeah, because actually they could have they could have kept you and used you for the good that you were doing, you know, in a, in a relatively cheap way, and you were getting more experience. But they could have kept a lid on you. And actually, he was saying you need to fly the S. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think after I, I
1: heard that from me I remember going outside having a fag, I do smoke, and thinking to myself, I need to fucking leave this place. That I just I. I like I, I remember, just being—I was still quite young at that time as well. I was 24. I was like, I need to leave. But I was just thinking, like, I need to go. It wasn't there. I never had that barrier in my head that editors are often older than, you, much older than you've seen editors. They don't look like you. There wasn't that barrier hadn't come up just yet. <laughs> yeah. And then I the only freelance agency I knew, I gave them a call, and they told me to come in. And I, they said, write down everything that you've done. And I came in. I met Tash, who I love so much, who's taken such good care of me, to be honest. I remember she looked at my CV and went, fucking hell, <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> and you need to come to join us. <laughs> um, and I did. Um, I did. Why was she so shocked? I think it's because, I, I don't I don't know. I, maybe it was like my age and I'd done so much. And also something I completely forgot to miss out. I'd already done a feature that had gone to multiple award shows while working at Objective. I honestly don't know how I did it because I still party proper hard. (laughs) But I was like working at Objective from like doing a normal eight hour shift and then I'd run off to Clear Cut uh, and I was cutting a film uh, called Breaks with this woman called uh, Mercedes Grower who was this actress who just knew all these huge comedy actors like Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding and Julie Davis. And they kind of did this film for her pro bono. Um, and she was like, I haven't got the money to pay for an editor. Can you do it? (laughs) And I was like, no one else is giving me a chance. So why the fuck not? Um, and then we were in the cutting room for about two years. So yeah, I was like, this is my CV. I've got features on there. I've got, um, other things on there I'd also done another feature doc
0: which is mad now I think about it that is mad so you had a staff role as an edit assistant where you occasionally managed to hop in and do online fixes or the occasional something extra that's more of what an editor might do yeah whilst then running off to cut a feature doc for free yeah and going out partying with your mates <laughs> um and then like at 24 yeah <laughs> going to an agent going can I I don't know if I can join you or not and they go uh heck yeah (laughs) pretty much that's pretty much how it went (laughs) what I love about this point in your career is that you sound like you are you've you've admitted there were no barriers you kind of sky's the limit quite you know perhaps naively but ambitious and excitable and doing well doing really well by working hard Also being completely yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? Being, like you say, purple hair, not really thinking too much about what people might think of you. How, once you were sort of on board with an agent and then getting kind of bigger credits, how did your relationship with imposter syndrome change over time? It It was experiences with certain people. Like multiple
1: experiences. Some of them were much harsher than others. There was a particular one I was booked in for a doc. I came in at that time. I had like cotton candy, pink hair. It was constantly changing. It was like uh, Clementine, (laughs) eternal sunshine. And I'd gone into the edit. I was just putting in my settings, and the director just burst into the room and he went, Do not touch anything. You are obviously inexperienced. Don't touch anything. I hadn't even said hello to the guy. I hadn't even said, I use this is a line that I usually use is, okay, so you've got me contracted for X amount of time. If you don't like what I do by the end of the week, let's call it a break of contract and you can find someone else. It's it's my
0: literal go-to line (laughs) for when shit like this happens. It just happened a couple of times. So the director walked in and he didn't... Did he know... Did he know who you were? Was he involved in hiring you or anything like that? Well, I I thought he would have been, but he
1: obviously wasn't. And what did he do then? Um, he went and had a discussion with the PM and he said, he came back into the room and he said, fine, we'll keep you on for however long. And I mean, I, I worked for it for a couple of weeks or weeks or so. And bearing in mind, this was a, it was a historical documentary about World War Two, which needed, you know, facts, figures... I was cutting one episode, and all I was given was six bullet points for that whole time. So I'm having to watch all the interviews, one of which was in French. They had no idea I could speak fluent French at the time. So, so whoa, they had no that was idea. a bit fluky. Um, so I was watching this interview, and they—I think maybe they put it through a, like an online interpreter because their transcription was totally wrong. Um, and I had to mention the fact that transcription was anyway. It was about two weeks until we had the viewing with the channel and he came into my suite and verbatim said, hi, Yaz, we've got a proper editor. He's gonna finish finish this up before the viewing. Um, I've got a perfect job for you, which is when the other editor came in. We went into his room and he was just like, he was so apologetic and he was like, um, he basically wants you to tidy up my project And I remember coming back into the room I was in, I was, like, shaking. I was so furious. I told the director to go fuck himself. (laughs)
0: Uh, Took my stuff and then went to the toilet and cried. (laughs) And this is after two weeks of editing with him, though, and proving that you're excellent. Four weeks in and he had never come into the edit. So he had stuck to the original assumption of what he whatever he had thought of you He's- as a what mid twenty year old female editor mm-hmm. and then decided despite your work, had he watched the cut? no, no no, he'd not seen anything, yeah, it was absolutely horrendous, and what is going through your head under that sort of pressure once you've cleared the air of look, just work with me, and i'll you know I'll yeah. prove it to you um but that whole time, what is going through your mind? I just carried on as normal. I didn't think it was weird that all I was given
1: was like six bullet points. <laughs> and he was coming in or having a look at anything. And at the time it was the AP, who's now like a friend of mine, who um, was coming in and she, she was like, she was another woman. She was just like, this is a fucking shit show. Uh, it was like a total boys club, this place. And yeah, I mean, so I didn't think that that would happen because I'd never heard it happening to, anyone else (laughs) so I just didn't think it would ever happen coming up a person's ability to tell a story is not defined by their race their gender their sexuality any of those things their age is not defined by so
0: why is it in tv that it's defined by that okay I'm going to get a bit geeky for a minute because I want to tell you about a company we've partnered with that I wish had been around when I was directing Conote Pocketbook was created by documentary producer Eleanor Casely when she found getting paper consent forms signed by contributors or cast on location was A, fiddly, B, difficult for the edit and C, a complete time waster. Not to mention so easy to lose when you think about GDPR. With Conote, you can just log in on your phone, tablet or desktop to collect, store and track contributor information on your shoot, which is then instantly accessible in one safe place for anyone on the team that needs it and you can even use the app offline when you haven't got any signal. I got embarrassingly excited you could say when I had the demo it's so cool and easy to use you take contributor photos write notes about what's sensitive and keep the whole team in the loop and I can see why people rave about how much time it saves in the edit and the obvious cost saving that that brings. So, no more illegible coffee stained note saying, Blur the brunette woman with short hair in coffee shop. And as a bonus, it's recommended by Albert as a sustainable solution that protects the planet whilst eliminating the faff. Prices start at just £95 a month, and with Eleanor and the team offering Imposter Club listeners a 20% discount if you mention this podcast. So get in touch by the website, it's www.conote.tv, C-O-N-O-T-E dot TV, or say hi to Eleanor directly, eleanor at conote.tv. You're listening to The Imposter Club, and this episode is with Yaz Almasawi. Was that the first experience you'd ever had of negativity to you in the workplace? Yes, to that degree, yeah. Yeah, so after you'd had that cry in the loo, what what did you do about it? I found
1: my agency and it was a woman called Becky and she was just so apologetic and she didn't know what to say because I, I don't even know if she's ever dealt with something like that. And I went home and I remember I just cried for about two days. I, it honestly really bothered me, which is this... It sounds so silly, but I think it's because I'd hustled so much and I get to a job and, like, sure, I'm guessing it's purely based on the way that I look or my age at that time. I was made to feel like I really just didn't belong. And that's kind of, that's the source, I think, <laughs> of all of this. Um, and then as the years have gone by, there's been number a number of, other incidences like walking into edit suites and the producer asking me if I can get them a coffee and some tea or some toasts. So this was another one. Um I came into this edit and bearing in mind, I was like wearing a I was wearing a puffer jacket and a backpack. <laughs> so I walked in and the guy was like, oh I said, Morning. He said, Oh morning, can we get some toasts and some coffees please? <laughs> I was like, okay, (laughs) here we go. Oh, wow. And then I sat on my edit suite and I put in my settings and then he just didn't stop. He was like, are you an assistant here? And I was like, no, no, I'm not an assistant here. I am your editor, son. I was so angry at that point. I just went, I am your editor, son. This guy was in his late 60s. (laughs) So so
0: (laughs) I don't think he appreciated being called son, to be honest um well you didn't appreciate being called an assistant
1: exactly um and then he phoned his pm and was like basically you've got a child in here and <laughs> all this kind of shit and yet again i used the same line if you don't like what you see the next week let's call it a call a break of contract so you can find another editor simple as <laughs> it's like the, it's like it was my go-to line for four years and it's kind of stopped happening after a while
0: well, the fact that it's having to rest there, taking up any brain space at all, is a, a, an unfortunate and horrible um, reflection of bias in the industry, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well, and what do you think? what What can be, what can be done about about that? And how should, how should we be handling this as, as an industry? Do you think? I don't know. Um, that's the thing. That's the question.
1: I, I have no idea. I mean, we I, we try with like, I've got a WhatsApp group with female editors and gender non-conforming editors and we kind of all support each other, give each other advice and if things like this come up or even jobs or whatever, but you, you, there's like a support system there, which is, I've only had it for like two years now. Um, but I honestly don't know. I feel like a part of me, thinks that if those people could see what they were doing outside their own body, if they could see it happening in front of them, they'd be disgusted by it. Um, even now, I've been editing for almost 10 years. It's so difficult to get an opportunity as an editor. It's so difficult because there's not the mechanisms for editors to come up. And and if they are trying to come up, they have to deal with it, especially if you're female. And I don't... I, I always feel uncomfortable saying it, but especially if you're an ethnic minority, I, th- I feel <laughs> at some point there's fucking black barriers there. There's there's barriers that, and when you're a woman as well in in posts, there's there's barriers. Um, I don't know what those. I, I I just don't fucking get it because I guess when we're making films, when we're making docs, whatever it is, um, we're telling stories essentially, and. A person's ability to tell a story is not defined by their race, their gender, their sexuality, any of those things. their age is not defined by it. So why is it in TV that it's defined by that?
0: I just well and actually, yes, to add to that, isn't it that uh, having a diverse team from all walks of life from different economic backgrounds, um heritage, yeah um disabilities isn't isn't having all of that behind the camera inputting and influencing the content that we're making only going to make the content richer and better i think so i absolutely agree with that um the more people of different walks of life you get
1: on a show is there's there's a quote by uh benjamin zephaniah that he said years ago on <laughs> on question time and it's kind of related to this um, it was about multiculturalism, but I think the same thing applies to, to TV. Who's like, 35 different cultures living in a community is 35 different ways to make a potato. <laughs> and it's, I love that. And it's like the same thing with rushes. I mean, with films and whatever, you put the same rushes in front of 35 different editors, you get 35 different ways to cut a show. They'll cut it 35 different ways. No one will cut it in the exact same way. And it's the exact same for shooters and script writers or whatever. Like, no one will make the same thing because we all bring something different to the table. It's it's why, like, when I did Cara and I absolutely loved it because there were people from different... who were different genders, different sexualities, different ethnic backgrounds. And because it was, like, a project about, like, the world... (laughs) But We bought all put in something of ourselves into it, and I absolutely loved loved that production. Not just because of the actual content; it was the people we worked with. Shout out to Fiona Caldwell and Kate Dart—they were so great, honestly. But like, we because we were all from different walks of life, and we were all very careful on how we present people on TV as well, because it's it's another thing about this industry is how people are represented, and it's something that's always bothered me. <laughs> Because, obviously, I'm I'm not just... I've varied, varied backgrounds. um, Iraqi, Georgian in there, there's French, Algerian. But when I think about, so, for example, when you say to the average person on the street, what do you think when you think Iraq? They think Saddam, terrorism, they think bombs. When I think of Iraq, I think of uncles in a hall complaining about when the food's going to be there, cigars and vodka. <laughs> like, it's it's <laughs> the representation of the people that i grew up with is has never been accurately shown on tv
0: do you think there's a part of you that has been so determined to to make it in this field that you've chosen out of stubbornness as well because you want to represent the youth um, females, and mixed heritage backgrounds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, I think it is a
1: toxic trait of mine. It's like my red flag is that I will do anything to prove people wrong.
0: <laughs> it's, it's honestly, it's terrible. Yes, <laughs> what is the cost of this determination and stubbornness to prove people wrong all the time when you walk into a suite and you are worried that someone's going to make an assumption about you and start calling their pm again to tell them they don't want you on their project what is the personal cost to you i mean
1: when i came into this industry i was filled with just positivity and confidence and excitement and enthusiasm and one thing i do not want to be is jaded um and I have met plenty of people who, who as the, the years have gone by in this industry, have become incredibly jaded. And I feel sometimes myself becoming that way. I never had imposter syndrome when I first started. Maybe arrogance of youth. Maybe I was just so confident in myself that I didn't think anything could stop me. It was me against the world kind of thing. But my experiences with, and it's not, the thing is, it's not been, it's not, Every single person I've met in the industry, it's been a few decades. <laughs> it's 90, isn't it? You just think, I'm just going to come in and create. <laughs> and you don't think there's going to be politics that you have to deal
0: with or the fact. No, and it makes me sad to hear you say that. And it's—it it is a massive shame that people can break your spirit like that and look I hear you it's not all the time and you're still incredibly upbeat and excellent and you you know we should talk about what you do to put back right because some of these experiences actually have led you to to do something about the industry or to help others Uh, I mean how how has how have those bad experiences kind of manifested um for you and you know how have you turned them into something a bit more positive
1: well, I mean, I, I I mentioned I've got this WhatsApp group, it's not mine, but um I joined it last year and we kind of support each other and it's it a big part of it is imposter syndrome, because we all get it. Doesn't matter if you are award winning or not, you or just starting out. We all get imposter syndrome at some stage. And being part of this group in the past two years has made me feel like I'm not fucking insane. <laughs> Like, it's not just me. Um, and we support each other. We go for picnics where I made everyone fucking freeze. <laughs> uh, <15, laughs> it's about 10 o'clock and everyone's like, I'm freezing. I was like, enjoy yourselves. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> um, we will have fun will in have the fun.
0: British freezing summer. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, so, and there's, like, support is, and it, also my, also my agents are, are fucking awesome. But, like, Within this group, we're looking for ways to actually help young'uns start to get into post-production or become editors and trying to find the mechanisms, mechanisms in which they can do that. For me, it was jumping on absolutely everything that I could. And then when I joined Indie Post, it was doing a few kind of edit assistant jobs. And then that was it. I got Horizon and then the ball was rolling from there.
0: But that's it like you you've what's interesting over the course of what we've talked about is that you entered the industry wide eyed super hardworking no barriers you know threw yourself into it was totally yourself with your pink purple orange whatever hair. Oh, yeah. Then unfortunately some experiences as you went through the ranks um, were negative and sort of broke or chink gave you a chink in that armor yeah, yeah. I suppose is one way of putting it. But now you kind of you're you're bringing it back round to going, I'm just gonna use that as a kind of energy to make a difference got- and to push on and to help the junior people come through the ranks to sort of future proof the industry by bringing new editors through. but also, I mean, you and me talking like this, you seem despite some nerves that you've admitted, you seem totally comfortable in your own skin. And I don't know how you felt during that time where you were, you know, you were trying to prove yourself more as a more junior person, but I I doubt doubt you were particularly comfortable back then and being yourself. No, absolutely not. I mean, (laughs) like, it's an extreme...
1: It's an extreme... I don't know if it's extreme because I I think that people who come from the same economic backgrounds, same ethnic backgrounds, similar ethnic backgrounds have all experienced this. I eventually change, changed my hair to natural hair colour. I changed the way that I literally changed my accent <laughs> for years, <laughs> for years, um, so people wouldn't realise that I am not from where they're from. Do you see what I mean? Um, You call it code switching. I literally had to just code. And I know everyone does it to a degree. Um, They have to change the way that they are doing works. But I I fundamentally changed things that were part of me so I could be accepted in this industry. Um, And now I look back at it, I fucking shouldn't have. (laughs) But it's because I I just didn't see those, those kind of horrible moments made me think that I can't, there's no... They won't let me in. It was was the the thought that was always in the back of my head like they they just won't let me in if I don't do these things or if they don't see me as one of them. In a sec. I got this notification and then I, I, I went onto it and then I get a WhatsApp message that's where I'm like, we've been fucking nominated
0: for an Emmy. I need to take a minute to say a big thank you to the team at EditCloud for supporting the edit of the Imposter Club podcast. The founder, Simon Green, said it was an obvious partnership as EditCloud felt like the imposter of the post-production world when they began. They are the world's first truly native cloud-based virtual editing solution, connecting tech, training and talent all over the world. EditCloud was created by editors for editors connecting storytellers everywhere, enabling them to craft their best stories to excite, enrich and inspire audiences wherever they are, much like this podcast. Thank you, team. I am so happy not to be crying into my laptop while I midnight edit. This is The Imposter Club, the podcast bringing a sense of solidarity to creative types. Now, on with the good stuff. Isn't that a shame, like, that you felt that you had to be someone else and speak in a different way and look differently to be taken seriously in your career? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is It
1: is a shame. Which is kind of why, like, I want to help young'uns from all different backgrounds try and get into this industry. And, like, it sounds crazy, but last, it's total tangent, but I remember last year watching the BAFTAs and Big Zoo won Uh and we have very similar backgrounds, Me and Big Z. He's half, but he's from West, half West African, half Middle Eastern. I'm half North African, half Middle Eastern. And he won. And like, I'm not a very emotional person, apart from the times where I sort of got angry and I started crying during this podcast. But um, I'm not really, I don't cry, I don't. And I just burst into tears, because he was like so himself. And I thought that I had to change myself to be successful. And there was this young guy, who changed absolutely nothing about himself, was just authentically, genuinely himself. And I felt like I had something to prove. Or like I felt like I had to do what I did to make it successful, make be successful within my career. And that's bollocks, now I know that, but I
0: didn't have the time. <laughs> I think that is brilliant and and a really lovely example actually of how that hit home to you personally oh, yeah. when he accepted that award. Absolutely. And um, we should, we should talk about your Emmy, actually. Sorry to cut in there, but I'm like, oh, you've won an Emmy, Yes? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about all this, you know, being called a child in an edit suite and asking for tea and toast. You have an Emmy? Yeah. I mean, that is incredible. I mean, it was. Tell me about that project. I mean, it was a show that I'd cut on,
1: um, but we won the Emmy together collectively. I'm downplaying it. Um- nice. Nicely done. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, it was for A&E Networks, Naked TV. Um, and it was a show called The Day I Picked My Parents. And it was it was a very difficult edit, but I was really lucky to be with the people who I was. I was working with uh edit producer who I absolutely love called Tess Moore. Um, and <laughs> then later on with Shreya Biswas, who we became really close in the edit suite. I feel like when
0: you're on those productions where it feels like you're fighting a war. <laughs> That connection, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I've been there. And sometimes they're short projects, but they're so intense yeah. that you those relationships last longer than the longer projects. Oh
1: yeah, hundred percent. And this this went on. For, this was this was one, like a mid project. It was like three months, um, and yeah, it was lots of back and forth and <laughs> with the studio, and I, I, it came at like a it was a really difficult time for me personally. Cause my dad was dying at the time and halfway through post he actually died and then oh yeah it was rough it was rough especially what an awful time i know especially i know i'm laughing it's because i always laugh when i'm nervous and awkward <laughs> um no i get it and uh yeah he uh yeah and um i remember the day he died we had his funeral on the saturday i went back to work on the monday which was a fucking mistake um and because I've just had this thing of just like, just work through it. <laughs> Cause I've just, I've just, I've put so much of my work, so much of my life into my work, which is not exactly,
0: which I'm learning. It's not exactly the most healthiest relationship with that uh, work life balance. <laughs> um, no, it's difficult to separate things out then, isn't it? So is it a kind of coping mechanism for you? Do you do you think sometimes, sometimes it is? Um,
1: sometimes I think it is, um, but, yeah, it was not on this production. So I, they eventually had to take a couple of days off. Um, but, yeah, we finally made something that we were happy with. And it. We, by the time we'd finished everything, do you know when you get to that point in the edit where you are just edit-blind? You're like, I don't know what this looks like anymore. Oh,
0: Enjoy it. Can't see it anymore, no. no. In fact, I don't even want to watch it I anymore. Never, I actually <laughs> never want to see that show. Um, and then a year later, it <laughs> was like lockdown. And... Um,
1: I got this notification and then I I, I went onto it and then I get a WhatsApp message. This was like, We've been fucking nominated for an Emmy. And then I because I, I literally everything that I do, I don't I never I always see the mistakes One, it's so bad. And I remember just going, Why? <laughs> like, I was like, Why were we even nominated? Um But then yeah, and then after after that, couple of weeks later, it was during lockdown as well, so we, it was just this weird moment where we can actually celebrate together. Um, oh. And then we were on a Zoom window, going, "Yay!" <laughs> and I was just watching it live on, like I think it was like Facebook Live or something.
0: And then we we won it, and I was like, "Oh shit, Emmy, man, amazing!" <laughs> I mean, if you if you ever needed a uh, a confidence boost about your editing skills, surely that was it. Yeah, y- you'd think. <laughs> I mean, you. you sh- you shouldn't need to win an Emmy to feel good about yourself, I know. Um, but and, and clearly, two years later, you're still having self-doubt. But surely me telling you again that you are an Emmy Award winner and that your CV is unbelievable and the Indie Post love you and took you on at twenty-four, I mean you must believe somewhere inside you now that you are good at what you do, Yes, right? I do and don't. Sometimes I'm just like,
1: nothing can stop me, I'm great at this. <laughs> and then other times I'm just like Someone is going to clock on to the fact that I'm actually not very good. Which is, this, I know it's madness, and I know it's stupid, but sometimes if I do feel particularly impostory, then I w- will start being like, I've done this, this, and this, and when I've done this, and when I did this, like, I see myself doing it, and it fucking annoys me. Um, but it's it and i know that is because i feel like an imposter but then it sounds like i'm just like being really arrogant and being like i'm amazing (laughs) just stupid
0: oh it's complicated isn't it it is complicated it is i i understand exactly why you do that but hopefully you'll come to a point in your career where you don't feel the need to be proving it to other people yeah um unwanted roommate yeah but I just won't. The unwanted roommate. I'm. Not, I'm. I've written that down. I've also written down. There are 35 different ways to make a potato. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> Honestly, it's so great. I love that. Um. Last question for you, then, Yas. Yeah, for as we wrap up, at one of your lowest moments, then, when you were crying in the lose after that awful experience yeah. with the director, what would you say to that? person, that that version of Yaz. I would probably tell her that. You will be meeting
1: dickheads, but you will also be meeting people who will absolutely trounce those dickheads and have absolute faith in you um, and that you can really succeed. I mean, I should uh, definitely need to shout out to Simon Frederick for that, from AFL, because he was the job I took on after. And I was, I was actually properly ready to leave that industry. Um, and I remember having a sit down interview and it was one of the first jobs for a long time that I didn't put on an accent. There was no accent. I just, maybe it was like, I don't give a shit or maybe it was not like I don't give a shit about the job or I just, maybe it was like, I don't give a shit about what this person's going to think about me. Cause regardless of what happens, he's going to have a judgment regardless of what accent I put on or <laughs> how my hair looks or whatever. Um, and it, I was I was, I was, was very ready to leave at that point. And I remember he told me about this project that he had and it was fucking incredible. Um, uh, it's called Black Comedy Legends. So uh, currently on <laughs> Black Hollywood. They've got to have us. <laughs> really love it. The Shameless plug. <laughs> Shameless. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had this interview and he just had faith in me, like, that I could do it because he was... I guess the story that he was trying to say, tell from a lot of the people who he was, the, a lot of the contributors, and also his own story was like, I'm not going to compare myself to fucking Woody Goldberg, but <laughs> was similar. There was the it was the feeling that you don't belong there, but you forced your way in, and yeah, he hired me on the spot, and I remember I like, I like walked. It was like by the Oxo Tower, and I kind of walked towards Gabriel's Wharf. I looked around, had a cry, so stupid, had a little cry, and then phoned my agents, and I was just like, oh, my God, they got the job. I'm so happy. And fuck me, it was a hard job. But, yeah, it was, like, it basically talked, talking heads from Greek chorus with fair dealing in a completely unique and different way. No edit producer, 48 interviews, all three hours long, just me in the edit, sometimes
0: with someone else, creating... These stories, baptism, fucking fire. (laughs) But he interviewed you based on your CV, I would imagine, right? Yeah. And then he met you, loved your attitude, your background. I'm sure you brought fire to that interview because you were really passionate about the content. So that's why he hired you. And it is so important that people in hiring positions use their gut about people like that. And don't just hire based on someone who's got the perfect credits on the CV. I I really feel passionately about that, that you proved yourself in that interview. He wanted to bring you on for who you are, as well as the credits that all amounted to someone that he could see had real potential to do it. Editors, us editors, we can...
1: I can can promise you most of us can do any genre. Most of us can do any genre. I can for example on my cv in the space of a week i did the last episode of the rap game and then i did a panorama two totally different genres and edices we can do multiple genres but i think people get stuck in they'll look at a cv going, oh, it's very current affairs heavy or oh, it's very um reality heavy and they don't think that they can do other forms
0: which i just i just think is absolute bollocks yeah,
1: personally,
0: uh, and actually, it's a it's a fault of the industry in general, other roles too. Um, I know that from experience of like working in talent for a long time. People get too pigeonholed, and um, then they look at a CV of someone who's done lots of varied things, um, and go, "What what are they actually good at?" Rather than seeing it as a strong point, yeah, yeah. Um, and being able to turn your hand to anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, yaz It's been amazing talking to you. Thanks. I can't believe you were nervous. You've got all this all this passion and fire to give and so much experience in the industry alongside your Emmy which was a team effort because it's not all about you it's not but it's you know not. it's it's not but um thank you for sharing it is i know it can be hard to share personal experiences but you know the aim of the imposter club is to reassure people that it's not just you that has these experiences and actually that you can turn them to to a good thing and by talking about them like this i'm hoping that if we just reach one person's ears who might have otherwise made an assumption about a female editor from a minority background sitting in their edit suite, they won't do that now or they'll check themselves before they say a single thing about tea and toast because that story is... I don't want that repeating um, ever again. Me neither. Me neither. Um, No, but seriously, congratulations on an incredible career so far. I can't believe you're only 34 and you've done all that. You've got so much... Um, more to give back to the industry so um yeah thank you so much thank you for having me that's it for this episode of the imposter club brought to you by talented people i'm kimberly godbolt and it has been lovely to hang out with you while you commute slash gym slash dog walk or whatever you're doing if this has struck a chord please go ahead and share it with your friends in that closed whatsapp group i'm not in or on your social networks our aim is to reach as many fellow imposters as we can to share love and learnings and create a sense of belonging. And if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to the pod so you don't miss an episode drop. Thank you to Talented People, produced and hosted by me, Kimberly Godbolt, exec producer, Rosie Turner, editor, Ben Mullins. See you later. And thanks again to Edit Cloud for editing this series.